This is a Federal News Network podcast. Cybersecurity abides as a top concern for federal agencies, and at a growing number of agencies, you can find political appointees in charge of cybersecurity. That's not a great idea, according to my next guest. Bob Tobias, professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University, joins me now. And this is a phenomenon we're seeing because cyber is the top objective for technology, you might say, at least in part for agencies, Bob. So why not have the power and prestige of political appointees running cyber? Well, I think the fact is that political appointees create public policy and career civil servants implement the public policy created by political appointees. So the fact is the cybersecurity public policy is clear. Zero tolerance for hacking into federal agencies. It's clear now, was clear in the past, it will be clear in the future. We don't need political appointees to create new policy in this new world. What we really need are the smartest, most experienced, public service-motivated leaders that federal agencies can find to implement the zero tolerance policy. Well, recently, one of our own reporters, Jason Miller, had a story saying that, yes, some agencies are definitely going with the political appointees. A couple of large departments decided to stick with career people for cyber. And the difference is, is when you walk into some kind of White House convened meeting, or you are meeting with an industry group, or you are perhaps testifying to Congress, there's more, I don't know, power, more prestige, more weight to the political appointees than to the career people, no matter how gifted they might be. Well, I think that's generally true. And it's generally true because what political appointees are doing are implementing presidential policy. And so these folks need the backing of the president when they're talking to outsiders about the policy. But in this case, In these circumstances, the public policy is career. What we need is leadership, ability, and technical expertise. We need people who are going to stay longer than the normal two-year political appointee tenure. We need experienced leaders, someone with technical expertise who's able to attract other smart people, who's capable of creating and leading effective teams that can and will achieve the zero tolerance goal. And I think it's also important to note, Tom, that in the federal employee viewpoint scores, agencies that have career leaders score higher than those who are led by political appointees. Well, now those people that you mentioned, the highly motivated, technically competent, long-term servants that are career, they're still there under the political appointees. So when you have both, what should the political appointee best do then? Well, every leader thinks their point of view needs to be implemented. Every leader, when they come in, thinks change must occur. So what we have is political leaders who come in, and then there's a new churn. There's a new strategic plan. There's a new articulated direction, even if the old direction is being sustained. So it's this constant churn that I think we ought to avoid. I think we need a longer-term focus than two years to create a strategic plan, buy the technology that's needed, implement it, and test whether it's good or not, that a political appointee in a two-year tenure will never do. We're speaking with Bob Tobias. He's a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. So just to further your point, I'll make an analogy. 
the Social Security Administration has very few political appointees. And the reason is it's mostly a functional agency to carry out the issuance of checks, basically, to people that qualify under any number of programs. The policy, of course, is set totally by Congress, not by the Social Security Administration. So it sounds like you're saying that's the model for a lot of domains where policy continues, regardless of who's in power. I think that's right on the mark. I think that's right on the mark, Tom. If there's no issue about policy, then the only issue is about funding. And I believe that in this arena, in this time, expertise speaks louder and more persuasively than does a political appointee who doesn't really know what they're talking about in this cybersecurity arena. Well, what a, just again, to play devil's advocate, suppose the cybersecurity appointee came right out of industry where he or she was a cybersecurity executive. That would be great. And they might speak with great expertise and great background and great experience, and then they're gone in 720 days. Yeah, if that long. But on the other hand, if you have the career people there to carry out the continuity, to understand the technology and the details of the agency, isn't a poll it good to have there maybe just at least to run interference and get the budget money that often the career people say they could use more of? Well, that would be the case. I concede that if this new expert from the outside would actually not try to change the direction of those led because I know better. Well, have you witnessed in your career? I mean, you were a labor leader and you've had a lot of experience with federal employee bargaining units in your time. Have you seen a case where the political and career leadership complex worked for the betterment of the agency? I did see a situation in the Internal Revenue Service where the commissioner, who has a five-year term but is a political appointee, attracted a very, very talented, gifted technology executive who really advanced the IRS. But in that situation, I think it was the combination of a political appointee who had a long-term focus coupled with an executive from the private sector who also had a long-term focus, and that was the best of both worlds. So then the idea that political appointees in term situations that may transcend a given administration, and by definition have to if they're five years, then might be a more advantageous way to approach these enduring problems? I think so, Tom. I think so. But in the meantime, when agencies across the government, very few agencies have heads with term appointments, I think we have to really think hard about whether we want political appointees who are leaving every two years or a gifted civil servant who can lead in this very difficult, challenging time. Bob Tobias is a professor in the Key Executive Leadership Program at American University. Always great to have you on. Thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up 
through the government, ultimately becoming the chief human capital officer at the Department of Homeland Security. He's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. and, and, And he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really, it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and and how's that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on the results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards 
two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2 of Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.